Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 263. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome and thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me here for another amazing week of the pre-med years, or what I hope to be an amazing week of the pre-med years. A couple weeks ago, we covered a student who went through her undergrad as a pre-med and had a 2.7 GPA and is now a first-year medical student. This week, we have a very similar story of an undergrad who had a 2.75 GPA and is now a first-year medical student. So we're going to jump in and learn all about how Michael did that on his journey. Mike, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, Dr. Gray. When did you know that you were meant to be a physician? Uh, Meant to be a physician. Uh, This actually came to me a lot later than most. I was actually out of college by the time I realized I wanted to be a a physician. I was probably 24 or 25. Um, Just to go back a little bit, you know, I had always been interested in, in nutrition and the health and performance aspect of like physiology. And so I studied biology in college, but um, I had some struggles in college. And um, when I got out of college, I started working as a trainer because I thought this is what I, you know, I thought that was going to lead me into, you know, um, finding the path that I wanted to take. And, um, you know, a lot of, it brought up a lot of questions in my mind about, uh, um, you know, what I was pursuing. I was now out of college. I had friends that had went into medical school at the time. And, um, you know, I was working with clients every day and who had a lot of medical problems. And um, I also was struck by how little I knew and how little I was able to help them at the time. I thought I had known so much. You know, I had taken a certification. I had studied so much biology in college, but I was struck by how little I really knew about the human body. And, and that was the first moment in my life where I really started to think that I wanted something more intellectually but I also wanted a career that was going to be centered around people. And, and that was the first thought 
Um, first time I thought that maybe medicine might be right for me, but um, at the time I was a little hesitant because I had some academic struggles in college and and uh, my grades were pretty poor and uh, I wasn't sure that medicine was going to be uh, available as an option to me. So you know I was at that point. Talk about those those struggles. So you're you're in undergrad. What were you? planning on doing? You said you were interested in nutrition. What what did you think you were going to do when you got out of college at that point? You know, it'd be nice for me to say that I had a plan. I, I really didn't have a plan. Uh, and I was the first one in my family to go straight to college. Uh, I really studied science because that was what I found you know, interesting in high school. But to say I had a plan, I really didn't. I, I had interests and I had hobbies. Um, and then when I got to college, you know, the academic part didn't go the way that I had really planned. So, and I really didn't do a lot of deep exploration at that point. I was really in a, a very immature state, you know. So um, the thought process after college really was, I'm just going to go back to what I was interested in and fascinated in the beginning and hope that I find something that was going to, you know, push my interest further. Because obviously the academic part in, in college hadn't gone so well. When you were at that point after college and and trying to figure life out, you're, you're working as a personal trainer, you're seeing some of these medical things. Some would say, well, you can, you can go and, and just Google that and serve your clients better. How did you start to explore the medical field specifically? Well, I think, again, I mean, you can get a cursory. I mean, somebody comes to you with... Um, a certain medical problem, even something as ubiquitous as diabetes or hypertension. I mean, certainly you can Google it, but you're not, it's a cursory kind of understanding of these processes. They're very complex. I mean, I had a, a biology background. I understood how complex the body was to an extent. I, I was struck by how much I missed the academic studying part and how much I, how much there was still left for me to learn. The problem was, was I was in a position where I felt like I had struggled so much academically, I didn't know where to go from there. Um, but I knew, I knew as I worked with these clients that I was not being intellectually challenged, that I, that I knew that that career, if I were to extend that out and extrapolate that out into the future, it, it wasn't going to provide me with the level of challenge I thought that I wanted intellectually. But I also knew I, I really enjoyed the interactions I was having with, with my clients. I mean, that was what was so satisfying about the job. Um, there were other parts about the job that I really disliked. So um, I, knew that, I knew personal training was certainly not in my future. How did you go about exploring from, from that point forward to, so to, to test the hypothesis? Does, does Mike want to be a doctor or maybe a nurse or a PA or something else in the medical world? How did you go about exploring that hypothesis? Yeah, that's a good question. I actually had a client, I worked with a client who was a PA, and this was actually the first time I had ever heard about physician assistant. I, I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't know what their role was or that, that it really even existed. And so I was talking to her and I remember thinking, wow, so this is kind of like, now I was naive at the time. I was like, well, this is kind of like physician light. I obviously I didn't understand <laughs> it. I didn't understand it quite as, you know, and I, I assumed the entrance requirements would be easier. Obviously, that was wrong, too, because it's very hard to get into PA school, uh, especially now. Um, so my thought process at the time was, honestly, okay, I'm interested. I, I want to explore medicine, but I might not have the grades to do it. Maybe the PA thing. 
might work. And I had known about a scribe job when I was in college. I knew a company that uh, employed scribes. My mom was a nurse and she worked in an emergency room that had scribes from this particular company. And so I, um, on a whim, I, I applied to the scribe company and I ended up getting the job. And uh, I thought, well, you know, that's the perfect opportunity. I knew that PAs and doctors work in the, in the emergency room. I thought, listen, let me just jump in there and maybe somebody can figure this out for me. Maybe somebody can help me and reorient me and, and uh, you know, see if um, they can provide the kind of mentorship and advice that I really needed at that time. With your previous poor grades from college, it, did you ever even stop at the very beginning and say there's, there's no chance? I, I've heard or I know that you have to have perfect grades to get into medical school or PA school. Uh, did you ever stop and go, there, there's no chance. Why am I even looking into this? A hundred percent. Absolutely. And it's the, it's the biggest mistake I ever made. And it's the mistake I would hope that um, in me talking about this, that other people don't make. I was under, I was in a biology program uh, as a pre-med, I mean, as a undergrad, and a lot of it was pre-med students. And I just was under the impression that if you were in a 4.0 student, if you were in a perfect student, that there was no opportunities available to you. That to even for me to think about going to medical school was just, uh, unless I was starting with, okay, you're going to the Caribbean, um, it was a non-starter. And so I didn't even ask the question oftentimes because I just thought that people, I was going to get laughed out of the room. I had a 2.7 grade point average in college. So you know, and this is in a science curriculum. So it's understandable, I guess, that I thought there was just no rehabbing that. Um, and it took some time, even when I started working in the emergency room, where I wasn't completely honest with the physicians who I was working with and, and uh, my coworkers, because I was kind of ashamed of it. I was very much embarrassed by having done so poorly. And um, but that was a big mistake, because once I opened up to them, the funny thing was, once I started opening up, and once I was honest about where I was, I got nothing but support from people and they were so helpful and they were so encouraging about pursuing it. They, they were obviously very serious about, well, listen, you have to perform once you, once you start down this path, you have to perform now. Absolutely. But don't, if this is what you want, don't give up on it, you know? So. Did you, at, at that point, besides the, the people that you were opening up to, how did you go about finding uh, an advisor at your college or it, it going back and figuring out classes you needed to take? How did you figure all of that out? Oh, well, I certainly didn't go back to my advisor at college because I, I thought that I would get laughed out of the room. Um, honestly, I did a lot of um, a lot of reading and a lot of research on the internet, obviously. And then I talked to a lot of physicians and then a lot of the people, a lot of the scribes I was working with were like experts on this. You know, I mean, every person, virtually everybody that I worked with was either going to PA school or med school. So they all had little tidbits of information. Certainly they didn't have all the information, but so I, I, and I knew what the pre-med track was. I had a bunch of friends who went to med school. Um, so I kind of under had a general idea of what I was going to need to do, but I had no idea about, for example, DO grade replacement, um, although now that's gone. Uh, so thank God I got it. I got it just before that ended. Um, but, um, I didn't, I didn't go to any, any, uh, professional or anybody at my college to ask these questions. I really, um, did a lot of the research on my own and I started formulating my own plan. Maybe that was not the smart thing to do, but, um, I wanted to build some credibility 
before I started going to like my advisor to say, hey, I'm serious about this. Yeah, I, I'm serious about this. And look, I can get good grades now. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> so, so talk about that grade replacement, because I think the student that's listening to this now who may be in a similar situation can't take advantage of something that probably helped you a ton. Go, can you estimate roughly how much your GPA increased because of that grade replacement? I don't know. Well, I can tell you this. Uh, it went up by, so it went up by five or six tenths. Like my total GPA when I applied to medical school had gone up by almost six tenths. Uh, if you can imagine that with, you know, but and when you think about four years of classes, going up six tenths is a big jump. Yeah. Um, and, and so there were several classes that I retook. I retook uh, the first and second semester of organic chemistry. I also had gotten a D plus in a psychology course that was just for, for no good reason. And so I retook that. And so this had a dramatic jump for me um, because at a 2.7 or below a 3.0, you're really at risk of getting cut from just the first you know, run through of applications. So I had to get my GPA up to a, a reasonable level. Um, I don't, you know, I think that if, if I was in my situation now, without grade replacement, I think that I would almost have to do a post-bac, like a formal post-bac. Um, maybe that would have been the best decision for me to do in the first place, but I think that I would have probably tried to make my application as strong as possible, get it to that three level or whatever needed for these post-bacs and, and, and go that route because I, I, a lot of people have had tons of success with those programs. Yeah, talk, talk about that decision for you. So you didn't do a formal post-bac or an SMP did you look into those and just decide that you didn't need it or did you not know about it back then? How did you figure out how to take the classes? Well, I definitely took a, a, a different, um, like when I started the process and I looked at my application or, or my, my transcripts and I thought what I was going to do, the first thing I actually did was take the MCAT. I didn't, I was four years out of school, right? So, and my thought process was, uh, okay, I, at least if I can take this test and do really well, then not only would that give me confidence, but then that might allow me, for example, to apply to post programs. I know there was some programs that require that you have a certain score on the MCAT. Um, yeah, so let, was, let me let me highlight that real quick for somebody who doesn't know. So you you already have proven that you don't have a solid foundation in the sciences based on your grades. <laughs> And so you go out and take the test that requires a solid foundation in sciences without retaking the sciences because for you, you would be considered a somebody who's already taken sciences. And so you would need to take the record enhancing postbacks. And a lot of those postbacks require an MCAT score to as, as a screening method to get in. I don't understand why they do that. I think it's ludicrous because the whole point of going to a postback is to improve your science foundation so you can do well in the MCAT. But anyway, that's that story. So go ahead and keep going. No, I, I completely agree with you. When I was, I mean, I was thinking to myself, a lot of these schools have these cutoffs for the MCAT, and I'm thinking, I'm four years out of school. I, I need to go to a record-enhancing postback if I'm going to do it um, and prove that I can handle this academically. Um, but now you're requiring me to have an MCAT. So I, I just, I, I mean, I, I was, yeah, it's kind of confusing. I'm not exactly sure why they do that. I think almost 
they they want to know that you're already competitive and that you just need to bump you know bump those grades and do really well yeah um but uh i know at lecom i don't think that they actually require the mcat i think they they have this algorithm or this equation they can use where they use your sat scores and your gpa and and, and such but a lot of schools aren't like that so yeah i decided that i was going to do that first four years out of school having already not done well in the sciences obviously uh, I don't know what I was thinking, but it worked out actually. So, how did you do that then? So, it, you scored very well on the MCAT without a solid foundation. How did you go about scoring so high on it? Well, I self-studied for it. Um, I used. Uh, I, I've never been the type that likes sitting in a lecture. I've always been a very avid reader. I'm. I'm very comfortable with self-studying, although my grades obviously in college don't reflect that I studied very much. Um, but I, I actually, so I actually used a program that was on the student doctor network. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so they have, uh, they had this three or four month plan that used Berkeley review and exam crackers. And so what I did was I knew that I needed to study the content and it was really funny because I was studying the content and I'm like studying organic chemistry there were concepts that I was learning and it was like for the first time. I was like, wow, I took a whole year of organic chemistry and I don't think I ever understood this. And for the first time I was, I was like understanding these basic concepts. So I took the time to really go back and make sure that I understood basic organic chemistry, general chemistry, bio and all that stuff. And then I followed that program for three or four months. And, um, uh, and, but I went, it was a lot of ups and downs through that whole process. You know, a lot of things I had to discard in terms of like strategy and then things I had to incorporate. And it was actually a really great learning experience. It was actually where I solidified my study habits and, and, and uh, I learned a lot of really valuable things. And it was a huge confidence booster because once I got through that and I did well, I was like, there's nothing I can't tackle at this point. I got, I can do this, you know. As far as specific strategy, I took the old MCAT, so I'm not sure if what I did specifically, you know, still pertains necessarily to the new one. How did you stay motivated? Through that time? I made sure everybody around me knew what I was doing. I was very open about what I was doing and talking about um, the path and the struggle. You know what I found very interesting is, is as I've opened up about some of the struggles that I've gone through and, and um, just the path of medicine, other people open up to you too. And I think it's been a very positive thing for me. Um, and I was just so motivated to prove myself, really, not just to me, but to everyone around me who was so surprised and confused as to how I had struggled so much academically. I just, I really, and I I really felt like if I could do well on that exam, that it was going to be the first step that I needed to get the ball rolling, to, to get the momentum I needed to kind of, to, to move on and to pursue this. So I was really motivated to do it. Uh, Obviously very anxiety provoking too, if I, if I didn't, do well, but uh, it, it, that's what you have to do. You have to take the chance, you know. You have to you have to take that first step. I actually did a podcast episode on the old premeds podcast, talking about how you you have to let those around you know that you're a premed to get that support. To you never know what connection somebody may have when when you were deciding should should I tell my friends that I'm doing this? Should I tell my family? Should I tell my boss? Should I how far along the, the spectrum were you from, I don't want to tell anybody in, unless I do well, to I, I need to tell people for, for support and other, um, whatever 
other benefits come from it? Where were you on that spectrum? Well, I'll tell you, when I left college, I was, I was at the point of, oh, I don't want to tell anybody about how really bad I did. And I, I, I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed. But I went through an evolution over that period of time where I, I, I did a lot of self-reflection, a lot of introspection to try and understand like how I'd gotten to that point. And I realized that, you know, I mean, we're, you know, you're not defined by these singular failures. Obviously it was you know, my entire college career, but you know, again, you're not defined by these moments, you know? And I think that oftentimes, even too, if you see in the media, people who fail and then have, find success are, are even held up to a higher esteem than people who've never struggled at all. And, and people respond to that. So when you're, and people also, also too go through their own struggles. They, 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 you're never going to also get that from other people. They're never going to talk to you about their own struggles unless, you know, you're open about yours. And, and, um, I, I took little steps, you know, and I would let my friends know, and they were just so supportive. Everybody was just so supportive and everyone like felt like I could do this. They were all confident, even when I wasn't necessarily confident myself. And, and, that was a huge headwind for me. You know, that was something that was very, very important for me along the process and continues to be. From the moment you decided you're going to go back into this, you're going to take the MCAT to when you actually applied to medical school, how long of a process was that? So I took the MCAT in July of 2014. So I took it that summer. And then immediately I started taking classes, but I, I didn't want to go back full time. I was still working and I thought, let's just dabble and make sure that I can get A's in these classes. Like I had the MCAT score. So I started actually a community college the first semester. I took like three classes and then I was like, all right, let's up the, let's up the difficulty here. And I started, I took biochemistry and a few other classes that spring semester into the summer. And then at that point, I was like, all right, let's go, let's go full. I'm going to go back, you know, take the full boat of classes, uh, including retakes and, and, uh, and the such. So, uh, I guess, I guess it was two years of basically taking classes after the MCAT. And then once I finished my kind of do it yourself post back, I applied you know, last year. Okay. In 2016. So two years. So basically two years. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned taking classes at community college. On your interview trail, were you ever grilled about why you took classes at community college, especially using grade replacements? Because the, the schools can still see where you took your old classes and they go, wait a minute, you, you did poorly at a four-year university, so you go back and you do well in community college. Like, I still question your ability. Did that ever come up? Uh, no, it never came up. And, and I think that, um, I, it wouldn't have come up because I, I, I knew that that could have been a, a retort that they could have had, but I didn't really, I think I took one retake at community college and then the biochemistry was taken at a four-year university. And then I went back to the original school that I had went to as an undergrad. My, one of the biggest things I wanted to do was go back to my original undergrad where I had done so poorly and prove that I could do it because it was a very rigorous, you know, science, um, uh, curriculum and I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to know, you know, it's like almost like comparing yourself. So I think that when they were looking at my transcripts, they saw a clear, I mean, yeah, there was a few mm -hmm. classes in community college, but there was a clear comparison between I was at the, at the same school, you know, five or six years ago, and now I'm, I'm back 
and you can see the difference in the grades in those classes. Um, so it never came up. And I, and I honestly, I don't think that it's an issue at all as long as you're using it as if, if all of the classes you retake are coming from community college, I, you're going to leave yourself open to questions, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some students I've talked to have been grilled on that because that was the only option they had was all community college. Well, then you got to kill the MCAT. Exactly. When when you made that decision to prove that you could handle it, going back to your original undergrad, was that something for you, or did did somebody tell you, you know what, Mike, you need to, you you should go back and and do it at the same school to show them that it's not an issue. No, that was that was totally me. I think that there are some times in life where you need to prove it to yourself. You know that that. You need to, you know, other people can tell you that you're capable. You can even have a test score, right, that tells you, okay, well, I understand this material. But I, I, there was still a part of me that needed to prove beyond a doubt that I deserved or that I, I belonged and that I had the ability. I wanted to make sure that if I got into medical school, there was no question, no doubt that I belonged there academically. Um, so that was, that was all, you know, my doing. Okay. Let's talk about applications. What was the biggest hurdle for you going through the application process? Oh, I mean, that personal statement. Um, you know, I I got to work with you, and I remember I, I was listening to your podcast for, uh, I don't know how long, but I was commuting to school that whole year, so I had a lot of time in the car, and I think that I was just going through all of your podcasts as I was driving back and forth, getting ready for the moment, and... Um, I felt like I had done enough academically that I'd be at least considered. But then there was the question of how do I tie this all together? How do I explain this in a way that makes sense? How does the 2.7 student go from 2.7 to 3.9 in a, you know, really good MCAT score kind of thing? Like, how does that happen? I needed to explain it. And um, that was that was kind of difficult. And it took also going back into, you know, my past and, and a lot of things that were like uncomfortable to think about. So that's where you stepped in too. That was where you were, very, you were, you were basically like, you know, you grilled me, but it was so worth it because it, it was, it made me so confident going into the process. There, there are no safe spaces with me. No, not <laughs> and at all. You were one of the first ones I think that I actually recommended because of your long commute and you were struggling getting started with your personal statement because of all those things. Where do I start? I have all these moving pieces. You were one of the first ones. I'm like, look, there's an app on your phone. As you're driving, just dictate. Get it out of your head, and you'll have a transcription in within 24 hours, and then you can start moving and massaging and, and going from there. Did did you ever utilize that advice to, to transcribe your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I definitely did. Uh, I thought that was... It's a little bit weird in the beginning because you're like, I'm going to be talking, you know, and and you just you have all of these thoughts. And, you know, I think your advice was like, just let it go. Just don't hold it back and try to make this sound perfect. Because when you're writing something, right, you're trying to you're trying to put the best version of your own thoughts onto paper. Mm-hmm. But when you're but when you're trying to dictate, you're just kind of just spilling it out and just kind of word vomiting and letting it go. And then you're trying to find little threads that you can pull and then you can follow them. And, uh, and I definitely did that during at least one of those, um, during one of those commutes. Yeah. When it came to preparing for your interview and answering that question, why do you want to be a doctor? 
your your path was very circuitous and and almost the the kind of aha oh i need to be a doctor was still a little bit i i think on the mushy side uh, meaning meaning it wasn't that tangible how did you go about f- formalizing that answer in your head so that when you walked into your interview day you were ready and you had a solid answer that they would go oh yeah i, I definitely see that you grilled me um, <laughs> um, you know, the, the question that I was actually most worried about was what happened in college, like what like, explain to me what happened. Um, I thought that if you take the long route, if I got, if you go take the long route on the arc of, of, of my path, I thought that it, um, it almost made more sense. I thought, you know, my reasons for wanting to go to medicine because I wasn't drawn to, medicine for the prestige reasons or other reasons than I was a child. I didn't have any parental influences. I felt like I kind of came to it organically. So I thought that if I just told the story in terms of what I was interested in and um, along with the anxieties and how I came to it, that I thought that it would just come together. And, and, and it did really once you, once you kind of wove it together, but you had to, but I, that was the thing I had to get to that point. And it, it was a, uh, there were it was it was difficult to tell that story initially what are some of the key questions do you think a, a student should ask themselves as they're struggling trying to figure out their their answers what are some of the the questions do you think that drew that out of you that's an interesting question um i think that i think you really need you know this is something that you can think on your own but what i found really helpful like I said, I worked with you was, was to find somebody else and to tell them your story. You know, I mean, um, ultimately you're going to be applying and people are going to be trying to evaluate you on a piece of paper and that needs to come through to them. Even if you think that you are, you have this great story and you know, you certainly deserve to be in medical school. It still has to come through to the people that are, are evaluating you. So I think that getting, um, other people's input onto this and talking to other people about it and, and having, for example, mock interviews, having them read your statement. Um, I think that's a great way to get the feedback you need, um, to make sure that you're really hitting the kind of emotional points and and, and other things that you need in order to be effective. Yeah. That, that question that you can ask somebody say, Hey, read this personal statement or, watch this video of, of me talking about why I want to be a doctor. Do you understand after listening to it or after reading this, do you understand why I'm here? Do you still have any questions? Do you still have any, are you confused about anything? I think is, is really the place to go to get feedback from somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, we tell ourselves stories and, and you might be, I mean, I know I did this a lot. I, I'd be on that drive and I'd be telling myself the story that I would tell the interviewers. Like I'd be thinking about what I'm going to say. But then all of a sudden you're put in front of somebody or you ask the question on a mock interview. Why do you want to be a doctor? And all of a sudden, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, you, you certainly need to have the preparation. Yeah. When it came to choosing schools for you, what was important for you where you went to school? Well, truthfully, uh, location was the, was the number one. I, I just wanted to stay close to family, um, to, to friends, if, if at all possible. Um, I ended up applying solely to osteopathic schools. 
um, for a number of reasons. Of course, I did the grade replacement, but I think there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of things that overlap between what my interests were, prevention and nutrition and, and, and those things with the osteopathic philosophy. So that was one of, you know, one of the things I always felt comfortable with. Um, but yeah, and then cost, of course. I mean, that's, I ended up um, being accepted to two schools and uh, cost was, it was the deciding factor in that decision. From the, the transition from your undergrad where you did poorly to doing your your post back and your do it yourself post back courses where you did well now into medical school what has that transition looked like have have you been able to to figure out how to keep those grades going oh absolutely um i mean i'm in i think week 15 or 16 in medical school we we went through a, a 12 week block of anatomy and that was that was really rough but uh you know, medical school is a whole different animal than undergrad. I don't have to, you know, certainly tell you that. And it's not necessarily the contents hard. I found a lot of undergrad classes to be harder in terms of the content necessarily, but the volume of material is just is so much and it just keeps throwing it at you. Um, so you've really got to be disciplined in how you approach things. And honestly, I've it's been hard, but I've managed it and I've, I've been able to still, you know, eat well and go to the gym and take care of myself and get sleep. And, and I credit all of those years that I took to get to this place, those years of, of, you know, studying for the MCAT and struggling, going back to school and working, all of those things were invaluable for me in the preparation for where I'm at now. And it's, it's one of the things that has allowed me to, to be, successful so far and I think going to be successful going forward. So it was worth it. It was worth, um, the, the steps that I took. What's the best time management tip that you would have for a student? Best time management. Well, I, I mean, for me, I don't know. Um, I'll tell you what I do. I like the Pomodoro technique with in terms of studying so that I'm efficient with studying. I think that people will often say that they study for four or five hours. And I mean, how much of that is spent sending text messages or doing other things or on Facebook? I think, you know, what's most important is that the time that you're actually studying has to be for studying. Um, you know, so you have to make sure that, that you're actually getting the amount done and you also have to be ruthless in getting and moving past material. In medical school, there's so much material that you can't possibly know everything. So you have to move on sometimes. You're not going to be able to know everything 100% and you have to be able to move on um, to get to everything so that you have a, you know, so that you have a, a, a base for, you know, whatever it is that you're studying. Yeah, I, I think if if I could go back and and tell doctor or not doctor med med student ryan um anything it would be to to turn off the internet turn off the phones shut off all that stuff and study because and, and even there's there's data now it shows it takes about 20 minutes if if you're in the flow of things and you get a text message you get a, a buzz or a ding it takes about 20 minutes for your brain to get back to where you were pre-interruption. 
Yeah, you know, my group, uh, I'm in a problem-based learning curriculum, and so I have, there's a group of uh, like seven or eight students, and we're all in a, a group uh, chat, and they, they joke around because, like, I do the 50-10 thing, so, like, I'm studying for 50 minutes, and then for 10 minutes, take a break, so they'll send these group texts, and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, Samino's not responding to the group message, he must be in his 50 <laughs> we have to wait until he's in his 10 minutes or whatever, because I'll literally put my phone away, I'll have the app, and I'll put my phone away, and I'm not, I'm just not going to respond to any of it, and it just, it just really, um, it, it allows you more time later on because you've been more efficient. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing, amazing advice. For the pre-med student out there who has a 2.7 like you did or a post-bac student who has a 2.7 is is questioning their ability to go back now that, I mean, you, you got lucky, Mike. You had grade replacement. We don't have that anymore. What <laughs> what do you say to to that student to to motivate them to to push through whatever obstacles in front of them? Well, I, I definitely relied on the support of others. So I think that certainly rely. I mean, if you're in a post the support of the students around you, you're all dealing with the same stresses and the same obstacles. So, you know, relying on them um, as a support network. I think that, you know, you almost have, just like, you know, you have to be ruthless with the personal statement in talking about you know, why you want to be a doctor. You also have to be ruthless in analyzing what's holding you back. You, you can't let anything, you can't um, be afraid to really analyze uh, what's what's holding you back, like academically, for example. I mean, we haven't, you know, talked about the some of the study techniques that I, I use. Um, I, I had to be very honest with myself about where I was falling short. And I think you really need to do that, whether you need someone else to analyze what you're doing and to help you or whether or not you can do that yourself. You just need to, you, I think you talk about this a lot. You talk about course correction and, and yep. just changing paths. And I think you have to just be objective about this is working. Okay. I'll use this. I'll discard what's not working, you know, cause there's so many things you get, you get so many different techniques and things that people throw at you uh, to do. You have to you know, be, be kind of, um, you have to make sure that you can triage and, and use what's important, use what's you know, useful for you and then discard what doesn't work and move forward. I like that a lot. What are you hoping the future holds for you? Well, how long are we talking? Um, <laughs> I've got six or seven weeks um, for the rest of the semester. You know, honestly, my experience so far in med school has been just amazing. The people have been the best part the atmosphere has been amazing. The, the, you know, I just, I really bonded with a lot of the students, especially in my problem-based learning group, which is a very, the problem-based learning is a very dynamic way to, to learn. It's not a traditional way. You're not sitting in, in, a, in a classroom necessarily getting lectured. So I really love that. Um, I'm really honestly just looking forward to just continuing to do well. And, and we're finally getting into a lot of the pathology and, and it's just really interesting. So I just, I have friends that have gone through the process and I'll, I'll hopefully rely on them going forward for, you know, when it gets time for step one and, and, and rotations and stuff. But I mean, I'm just excited. I'm really honestly, if you would have told me five or six years ago that this is where I would be and I feel like this good about, you know, what my future held, I, I, I don't know if I'd believe you. I mean, so I just feel really good about, I'm just going to um, stay positive and, and continue to work hard. And I think that things are going to, you know, work out. 
All right, there you have it. Again, that was Michael sharing his journey, what he struggled with, how he overcame those struggles, and now he's a first-year medical student talking about his successes along the way. If you have an amazing story to share, if you know somebody who has an amazing story to story to share, send them to me, Ryan at Medical School HQ.net. If you're preparing for the MCAT, you can save some money by using the promo code MSHQ with Next Step Test Prep. Now I have a great relationship with Next Step Test Prep. We do the MCAT podcast together. I highly recommend go you go check that out if you haven't. Um, and I am an affiliate for them, meaning if I refer people to them, people sign up, I get a little bit of money. But you know what? Even if I didn't get that, I would still refer everybody to Next Step Test Prep. I believe that what they offer is better than what you can get from any of the other big name test prep companies out there. From their one-on-one tutoring, their online class, the feedback that I get day in and day out for their full-length practice exams. The, the feedback that I get is that they are the most realistic, the best predictor of your real MCAT score, the next step test prep exams are. And you can buy up to 10 of them and you can save money on all of it by going to medicalschoolhq.net slash next step and using the promo code MSHQ along the way on your checkout. All right, with that said, I hope you have a great week. Next week, I have another amazing guest where I talk to the dean of Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine about Canadian students and why Michigan State has a mission to increase the prevalence, the exposure of Canadians to osteopathic medicine. We get a great history lesson of DOs and the quote-unquote merger between MDs and DO residencies, although Dean Strample uh, does correct me that it's not a true merger, but we get a great history lesson on why that's happening and so much more. So don't forget, subscribe to this podcast. If there's one thing that you can do for me today, subscribe to this podcast. If you're listening to this right now in an internet browser on your phone, an internet browser on your computer, open up your phone, Go to the podcast app on iTunes. Go to Podcast Addict on, on, where does it? Podcast Addict on your Android device. Or, or guess what? The pre-med years, the MCAT podcast, old pre-meds, Ask Dr. Gray pre-med Q&A, and specialty stories are all in Spotify now. Spotify on any of your devices. Just search for Meded Media. You'll find them all. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. 